do I look alright? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do, yeah. Well, on that note, let me get the show started and welcome to the Pagey Train. Today I have in with the studio with me Benjamin Morton, a horror film director. Welcome to the Pagey Train. Thanks for having me. I uh, mean, I've been, um, I, I think, um, where did we meet? It's always one of these things. I think we started, we, uh, West, uh, uh, Sydney Film Hangouts? Yeah, it was probably there. Yeah. Was it there? I must yeah. have been, oh, yeah. I, we would have at least probably met each other loosely, but it was probably there where we actually got talking. Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. O- over beer, as it always is. That's right. Yeah, I, just, it's, I think it's just my way of meeting people and meeting when I'm drinking piss. I don't know why. It's a great way to get to know people. Well, I think it's a bit of a, um, people call it like social lubricant. I'd say it's a way sometimes to... Accelerate intimacy, you know. Well, yeah, that's another way to look at it. Yep, tears away the inhibitions. Yeah, that does. Yeah, you get to get the courage to talk to people. That's right. Because um, sometimes I can be, um, uh, you know, uh, believe it or not, a dude who runs a podcast and uh, makes films and does the things that I do. Um, I can be a bit shy. We all need a little bit of help sometimes to open up. Yeah, well, I'm not saying alcohol is always a solution for that, no. but certainly something it, to break the ice. Yeah, there is that is there has been that icebreaker. I don't know if it's in my generation that I do that or we do that. I don't know, or if it is it at the age old sort of thing. I don't. I'm not sure. It's probably been happening since the Vikings, at least. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Vikings. Yeah. 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 I, I get mistaken for one every now and then. Yeah, I can see how that happens. Yeah, people think I just got off my longboat. Yeah, well, well skull. Mm. <laughs> skull. <laughs> mm. um, but it's great to have you in the studio today because I've got to hear, I guess we're talking about horror films today. Yeah. Um, you made a few um, uh, shorts um, mm-hmm. uh, and you, you, you've won a few awards as well. Yep. Um, so uh, it was called the um, uh, A Night of Horror. Yep. Uh, film festival yep. is that right? Have I got that right? Yeah. Now, and you won a couple of awards at that. Tell us what um, that that festival is about, and why why enter it, and why go to it. Okay, so a night of horror international film festivals, a local film festival that started out in Newtown, and it's been going for a bit over a decade now, at least over a decade, um, nearly probably two decades, probably. Oh wow! And it's a really really great kind of festival with the camaraderie and the community, especially for the fantastic kind of extreme horror and fantasy and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um so the actual night that i entered mm-hmm. is the one of the main kind of nights of the festival so the festival usually goes for a week okay and it starts with the opening night big features and closes with awards and things mm-hmm. but in the middle of the festival they have a short festival night on mm-hmm. and so it's like the short gala and everyone who's a short filmmaker can enter that and then it's a audience choice award mm-hmm. and then they also have judge awards and things as well mm-hmm. and so it's a really good way to kind of test out your film and get that audience reaction and like you can always be friends with judges and impress a small panel yeah. of critics and things like that yeah it's possible but yeah but when you put the vote out to the audience and to the people and the mm. random people that can just turn up to Newtown that night, mm-hmm. um, that really gives you a, a good sense of whether or not your film sucks or mm. not. Yeah, well, the Audience uh, Choice Award is an important thing. We have one, um, obviously, in Made in the West, and it's, for yeah. exa- it's not for exactly that reason, but that's one of the reasons. Mm. I think the hardest thing when you... Like, uh, to someone to panel judges on a, on a film festival is a difficult thing to do. Yeah. Um, because you want to have a range of um, uh, expertise. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, you want people that are... Um, for instance, in our festival would be documentary makers, um, drama makers, people that do genre films, um, a, a range of those things. But... Um, I would surmise that, you know, in a, in a horror festival, you'd need to find people that had specialty in um, uh, special effects, screenwriting, um, cinematography. So you still want those elements of expertise in your, in your panel. But we're in such a small community that it's impossible to avoid each other. It's like we're in this we're in this pool of people. Yep. Like if if chances are you've probably worked with one of your judges before, uh, and most of people that are resubmitters, if you know what well, I mean, or at least afterwards, yeah, yeah, or at least afterwards. Like, mm-hmm. um, and then being a part of that community, I find that there are so many links in the chain, and and everyone knows each other in some way. Yes. So it's very difficult to actually have a um, you know a 
um, a non even a non biased judging system, um, and hard to and it's even hard to do because it's an arbitrary process. Because what you like and what I like could be totally different things. That's right. But an audience choice award that's yeah. that's you're playing it in front of um, not only your peers but the you know the the greater audience, and that's a really good measure. So it's an yeah. important award to have at festivals, I think. Yeah. Um, so I, I found it really engaging and really interesting. Um, I I won it twice. Um, well, the Audience Choice Award? Yeah. So, oh, man, that's, that's, a, that's a good feather to have in your cap. Um, two, two feathers, actually. So <laughs> after that, I kind of realised, well, I've got a niche now. Mm. Um, I must be doing something right. Mm. And I must be able to make a scary film or something. Mm. And so, um, yeah, so then I've been working um, on a bunch of different horror projects since then. Mm -hmm. um, I started out in special effects makeup, actually. Okay. Um, before getting into film and so I was a special effects makeup artist for years um, in 2003 I worked on the Rugby World Cup opening ceremonies oh yeah um, wow yeah yeah and okay. so that was like working on all the makeups and effects and suits mm -hmm. and things for that um, but I was doing a lot of a lot of that kind of work with your mates and do stuff for exposure for free and yeah. especially with makeup you're paying for your product and you're putting in all these different ideas mm. and it was really good because i got a lot of experience and mm. that's one of the best things so i say work on mates films for free not for the exposure but for the experience, for the experience yeah, I totally the totally agree with that because Absolutely. that's how you cut your teeth yeah, and right. in this day and age, we make our own exposure. Yeah, like why do I need someone else to create the exposure when you're doing it yourself? Like we have the power of social media at our fingertips. You're already doing it yourself. Why would? And if you're doing st shit that stands out, then it's going to stand out anyway. Why would you need someone else to adjudicate that for you? Yeah, you know. So the experience, um, I really resonate with that. Go and do a film because you want to learn something about yourself and about yeah. the process. Yeah, and to just be working and mm. be making films and mm. be making projects, and one day. It'll pay off. Yeah, you get better. Yeah. You get better. You get better. Practice mm. makes perfect. Um, and you have to refine. It's a skill and it's a talent, but you also have to refine it mm. and you have to learn. You have to experiment, especially with when you're doing things like special effects and makeup and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. There's no big recipe book mm -hmm. for how to do every special effect and every makeup. Mm -hmm. And especially in film, mm -hmm. you kind of don't want to do... Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, too much of what's already been done. Mm. So once one person's done one special effect, everyone could kind of looked at it and been desensitized to it. Mm. So a lot of the really interesting, engaging things with the makeup mm -hmm. is actually researching and coming up with crazy new ways to kill people and things. And how like to be that. how to be a bit more cutting edge and how to um, uh, stay ahead of the ahead of the curve, if you will. Yeah. So I was doing like especially to. Mm -hmm. um, the old Tropfest film festivals and things, mm -hmm. building up to that, um, we would have 15 to 17 uh, short films that I'd be doing Oh wow! sometimes in a month, building up to that, where people are like, oh, we need a makeup artist on this film. I'll do it. Need mm -hmm. a makeup artist on this film. I'll do it. Yeah, so you got your name in most of the credits. So that, I was that, doing yeah, all yeah. these different little films and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but eventually... Um, so I always wanted to be a writer. Mm. Um, so I was always secretly writing away on my own scripts whilst doing the makeup. Mm -hmm. um, but eventually I'm like, oh, I was spending, as a makeup artist, you turn up before most of the crew. Mm -hmm. Just to set up, get your makeup ready and set up and mm -hmm. start putting on makeup sometimes. And then you'd sometimes be there as one of the last people packing up at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I would see from beginning to end the entire production. And as a makeup artist, a lot of the time you're just kind of standing off to the side ready to do touch-ups. So you can watch everyone else working. So mm. when everyone actually is making the film, mm. your job's done. Mm. So you can actually sit back and watch everyone else work. Yeah, because you're just reactionary from there. Yeah. 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 And um, so I actually learnt a lot mm -hmm. of being on set. Mm. And kind of was like, oh, I think I can do this myself and I think I can do it better. Mm. So I thought I'd go study film and 
to horror films myself. Yeah, well, that's a good story, man. Like, I think um, I think a lot of us have um, different pathways to um, our destination of being a filmmaker. But I think there's a lot of resonance in how um, uh, some of those pathways come about, and that's about being on set regardless of the role, mm. just as long as you're getting exposed to the process. That's right. And, yep. and education as well. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'll still be runner, clapper. Um, I'll do any kind of a little role um, on one of my friend's shorts mm. recently. Um, he needed a guy to hold the boom pole. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, I'll hold the boom pole for you, man. Yeah, I always say that, man. Just because yeah. you direct films and write stuff doesn't mean you can't um, uh, pick up a broom and start sweeping and doing those jobs as well. That like you would go, oh, I don't do that anymore. That's but, right. But as a do. director, it's important that you should be able to do every single person's job. Totally. And so it's good to, like, Oh, I couldn't be a makeup artist. I, Keep I, fresh with that. I don't, I don't know if I could be a makeup artist. I'm terrible with those things. Absolutely <laughs> terrible. I think you need a bit of a bit of finesse um, and a bit of a fine touch. Well, uh, I hadn't really had much experience with makeup going mm. into the course. I came more from like painting and drawing mm. and things like yeah. that. But I just loved effects and special effects and yeah. Star Wars and. That's a good intersection of art, though, isn't it? When yeah. you're doing when you're doing special effects for a film, because obviously the, the, that film is the production. Um, the performance, the direction, the writing, and 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 um, doing this uh, very physical art uh, for a digital space is a good. Inter- I think it's one of those great intersections of art. Uh, I think that's why I like film to be- begin with. It is the ultimate intersection. I think computer games creators and and filmmakers have this intersection of art of being. <laughs> A graphics designer, a sound designer, a writer, a director, a performer, uh, and a performer on different scales, everything from a, a voiceover artist to a hand model or whatever you're doing. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. Intersection, that's the good way to describe it because it's what I've said to everyone is that there's almost not a role, not a job, not someone I've met in my life that somehow can't contribute to my film Mm. or somehow doesn't have a role to play on a film set. Mm. If you're like, oh, I make sandwiches, and I'm like, dude, come do catering for me. Oh, I'm just a tradie, and I just hammer nails into wood all day. And I'm like, oh, really cool. Um, Do you know what a flat is? And Mm. they're like, no. I'm like, yeah, come be my first set designer on my music video Mm. 20 years ago nearly. Um, So everyone I've met, there's that intersection. Like mm-hmm. if you're a musician, if you're a drawer, if you're a painter, mm-hmm. actor. Yeah, I find puppeteer. those intersections everywhere. Yeah. Um, and there's usually, um, because you can't just do one thing. You've got to be a slasher. Um, I think we were talking off air before and you were talking about being a, um, uh, working uh, for uh, video switching uh, for live TV. Yeah. See, I've done, I've done the same thing. I've done uh, video switching uh, for TV and uh, for uh, live and non-live. Mm-hmm. Uh, at different levels of the production, all the way to the broadcast end, and also at the uh, filming end. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think, it's, you know, because you go and do these jobs because there are lots of crossover of what you do. Um, yeah, you were telling me, uh, like, because there's one major rule. Like, I was telling you a story about my... Um, cause I was, sorry, sorry, guys, I'm just going to get to the story here. Um, I, I had a uh, mate over doing a podcast and I had a pint of beer sitting right here. And come down to start filming the podcast. And I knocked the beer over and went over the desk, filled every inch of, uh, um, of the desk. You were telling me a story about, uh, was it SBS you were working for? Um, it was for Sky Racing. Yeah. Oh, Sky Racing. Yeah. Okay. So it was during a big horse race. Mm-hmm. And I was working as the technical director at the time. Mm-hmm. And so your job is to make sure nothing goes wrong, mm-hmm. even when it does go wrong. Um, and so usually, like, when there's... Like, the screen goes black and they're like, sorry, we've got technical problems. Everyone's yelling at their screen that they want their football match back. It's yeah. me who's running around trying to fix everything. Mm. Um, so I'm just sitting there watching everything. Race is going off. Then all of a sudden I get a call from the audio person. Benny, can you come in here? I'm like, oh, no. Um, so I quickly race into the audio room and... The audio director has brought in a coffee, which he shouldn't have had done, and spilt it all over the audio desk. Mm. Very big, expensive, very big, heavy audio desk. And and they're sensitive as well. Like they're, they're very, they're very fiddly things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so luckily, <laughs> she had faded up the audio to the track, and so the race was going on. Oh, so you still had the vols, but you just couldn't fade off it wherever it's we going. We could not cut back to the announcer or go to any other audio feed so mm. it's just going to be on that track mm. so we're like that's a hard redundant path to get out of so how did you get out of that we unplugged it um picked it up 
with on one shoulder, mm. lifted it up the staircase, grabbed the other one. We had another one in the storeroom, ripped it out of the box. <laughs> we had a chain of like me, <coughs> three engineers, and I think the vision switcher, count, like passing this thing down. Yeah. Um, the staircase so we could just throw it pretty much because there was no time to even carry it It was pretty much here you catch this you you line in this power in line in (laughs) power in with the plastic and pull off the plastic and feed yeah did you let me ask you this though did you have any black to wear you got no black to wear so you changed out an audio desk yeah so before before the end of the race so that's how you cut your teeth yeah, right. totally. That's adrenaline pumping. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty insane. Like, I don't think I've ever had, um, you know, uh, black-to-air scenarios like that. I think the best one, my worry for a black-to-air and avoiding a black-to-air was I was in Perth, all right, and I was running a broadcast for um, TVS. So, I was re- doing the broadcast room. So, you know, you have your present uh, pres operators on mm-hmm. and, and just basically directing traffic on, mm-hmm. on that channel. And a gas cylinder truck had tipped over near the premises so they had to evacuate everything within two kilometers of of the accident and uh that included uh the pres op so they had to abandon that so they had to do their last edits before stuff going to air Mm -hmm. and then um in that process one of the commercials froze like out of all the times for the server to freeze it froze Mm -hmm. when it was unmanned and uh yeah so i had to liaise I, I got on through my phone through TeamViewer, managed to correct the uh, freeze on TeamViewer yeah. while, um, while uh, air quotations, my partner was driving. I wasn't driving. Uh, but I managed to <laughs> I managed to auto-correct. Sorry, thank you. Um, no, I managed to um, uh, do a TeamViewer through my phone and then negotiate with a policeman to escort them back to the, uh, the pres-op and uh yeah got them back on air and i think i only had like a minute freeze i had a minute freeze which is a long time in tv it's so long that's a long time it's a scary time i've been like especially for that channel Mm. you don't want any black it's a major problem a lot of money though there's a a lot lot of money money on that screen if you think about it being on screen at any time because everyone's betting on that anytime yeah yeah any time of the day it can be 2 30 a.m in the morning Mm. you don't think it matters but it it does does. it does because it's worldwide coverage it's Mm. singapore races and so that was the thing so we did the world racing oh so so you didn't have you didn't have time It, it was time zoned like you had shifts running yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so I'd sometimes start at 3 a.m. in the morning getting mm. ready for Singapore Cup. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the scariest time in my life, I think, working in that TV station was when a truck nearby crashed into the local kind of power generator and oh, yeah. caused, like, a massive eight-block outage. Like, outage. power outage, yeah. And everything just goes black. Mm. And I'm like... Oh, no. They didn't tell me how to do this at school. Oh, shit. Yeah. And um, I'm like, quickly run around to the MCR. And I'm like, we have no power. And he's like, don't MCR is a master control control room. room. Yes. Uh, Just for you listeners out there, master control room. And I'm like, what do we do? We don't have power. (laughs) TVs need power. Mm. And they're like, don't worry. We have a generator. We got redundancy. Yeah. Yeah. And so then he got to open these weird doors and it's it was almost like the get smart room mm-hmm. where you go through yeah, a yeah. series of different kinds of changing doors yeah. and then he goes here is the emergency generator and i'm like oh and we like started up and it felt like an old kind of steampunk engine yeah room. yeah it does because it will start up and it'll and have it'll a bit of rattle it'll have a bit of knock to it yeah it has a, yeah. It has a lot of knock yeah and then everything kind of turned back up on but we had like emergency like red glowing lights through the hallways mm. and everything while everything was yeah going. everything on battery yeah, they call it um, for the redundancy for that. We used to have a similar thing. You have a generator in the power station. Obviously, if your power goes out, the generator's got to click on. But it takes eight seconds for the uh, generator to start. So that means you've got eight seconds of a power outage. To bridge that gap, they use what you call a UPS battery. So the battery will take the load yep. whilst the generator 
clicks on. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing how you learn about those sort of things. Because uh, these redundancies are everywhere. You just don't yeah. know about them. Yeah, until it happens. Until it happens. Yeah. If they're not there, then they've got to... Put, that's how they get redundancies put in place. But hospitals. <laughs> hospitals do it. Um, airports do it. Everyone has these redundancies, not mm. just TV. But, um, yeah, I was always fascinated by that. I Actually, another another worry of TV while doing broadcast, I had a... Um, uh, the pe- I had the generator running because the power was out, but the Jenny would run for eight hours. So you got eight hours of power. And I um, had a, I was again on holidays. It always happens when you're on goddamn holidays. Again, I was on holidays and I had my uh, Presop do a hot um, engine refuel. So the generator's running. And I had to talk him through how to refuel it while it's running. While it's still running. and Because yep. when you do a hot refuel, that's a dangerous job. It is. And it's a scary thing to hand over to someone else and describe to them how to do it on a phone. Yes. Uh, so that was a scary process. I'm like, fucking be careful, Rand. Don't not don't don't like lose the petrol. It mm. has to go into the in, into the system. But yeah, no, this is great, man. Having a TV broadcast warriors. I did not expect that on the podcast today. Mm. Thought he was going to come in and talk about uh, uh, horror. But let's get back to horror. You can still do that. Get back to horror. Um, so what was the uh, you want? You said you won two awards for doing a. Uh, the uh, A Night of Horror um, Audience Choice Award. What was the first one you won? Um, so the first Audience Choice Award was for Point of View, for mm-hmm. POV. Um, so that's a short film that's recently just got distribution um, and streaming overseas. So oh, that'll yeah? be coming out soon. Um, but it's a film shot entirely from the point of view of the killer. Yeah. So at the time when I made it, I was... Once again, back working at Sky Racing, and we were. I got in a whole bunch of little GoPro cameras, mm-hmm. and this was way before they kind of became prosumer tech. Yeah, and so went like the Gen Twos or the Gen Ones, even Gen Ones. Yeah, yeah. and um, so so we could put them on all the jockeys and mm-hmm. on the um, on helmets the helmets yeah, and yeah. things like that. And I'm like, huh, it's kind of like a Doom game. Um, watching the jockey walking through the stables like the shit that we weren't actually broadcasting i'm watching them like put the helmet on and they're just watching the conveyance between the two around and they're they're just picking up things and i'm like watching his first person point of view Mm. going this is just like a first person game i'm like um, I did not write my film whilst working at Sky Racing. I just happened to produce it yeah, and make yeah, quotations. it in, on the weekend. Um, but I, think, I think there's a good lesson in that, though. If you're doing those jobs, man, and don't get me wrong, like you've got to feed the monkey, and you may as well be doing it in a technical job that you are qualified to do yep. and that it's uh, in, the, in your field of endeavour. But with that said, if you've got some blank moments, I suggest you write a film and uh, right. write a screenplay. And yeah. Do whatever you've got to take. Um, so, yeah, you wrote the, uh, on weekends, wrote the uh, um, uh, script for Point of View. Mm. And what, what year was that? Um, so it was 2012. 2012, okay. That, um, yeah, that we were making that. And so, yeah, I got myself a, a GoPro back when everyone was like, well, what is that? That's not a camera. Mm. I was about to say, yeah, it's like a and, pretty boxy thing. Right? Yeah, and kind of modified it to wear into my own head and I couldn't trust to have a camera op and direct the camera operator Mm -hmm. and an actor so I had to then play the killer Mm -hmm. have the camera on myself and do all the directions and stuff as well to make sure it all fit the same kind of correct vision yeah okay and um so yeah we made it kind of very small very simple and easy um Starring uh, the lovely Jenna Bridge. Mm-hmm. And, Big shout out, Jennifer. Yep. And, um, yeah, it scared the pants off people. Um, well, that's what you want to do. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I honestly didn't think it would... You, you kind of don't know if it'll work. You kind of, yeah, this is a horror film. Kill some people. It would mm. be fine. But you're really just, like, throwing around some makeup with your friends. And you're having... Making a horror film is a bunch of fun, mm. and it's a totally different experience to watching a horror film. Mm. If you're a good horror filmmaker, it's a ball of fun mm-hmm. to make, and it's a horrible experience to watch. And yeah, that's, that's the way, way it should be. I like that. That's a good way to look at the, that genre. That's um, a great way to look at it. So after a horrible torture scene, Jana gets up and puts on Gangnam Style and starts dancing around. <laughs> and we've got that on footage to mm. show that from her screaming to then her dancing and being funny. Mm. Um, 
yeah so it's just a really interesting experience but when i went down to melbourne for monster fest um one of the other horror film mm. local horror film festivals and it was screening down there a couple of the people from melbourne came up to me and that was when i really kind of Mm, maybe I scare people. Mm. Um, because in Sydney, you're like, oh, it's probably just all my friends and their mum. Yeah, yeah. But thanks, Brahms, mum. Yeah, yeah. All, um, all, all the cast and crew and their family come to watch your film. Which yeah. Is great, which is nice. That's what I put my first wind down to, mm. was on my, oh, wow. No one else brought their cast and crew. No one brought, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a big lesson, though. I think that's a valuable lesson, man. And I've got to tell you, as someone that's, um, that does these, that does this sort of thing, if you put an Audience Choice Award in your festival, yeah. there is two things that you get out of that. The first thing is that if anyone has any re rebuke against the judgment, of the judges that you've picked to judge their films, they can have their say. Mm. But the other side of it is, any smart filmmaker knows I've got to bring as many people as I can to this event. So it's actually a part of um, getting bums on seats. Mm. And I think that's the secondary thing. The first thing is you want to be able to have um, transparency and be able to do, yep. you know, because we, we, we do. Because anyone who watches um, films, I'll go, oh, man, that film should have won. Right, it's just because their perspective is different. You got to understand. Right. We we put a lot of effort into what we call the separation of powers. Not even the judges generally don't know each other. We try to keep them separate. They don't have a conversation about the films. They judge them purely on their own, mm -hmm. and that's still a difficult process. Mm. It, is, it, is a, it is one of the hardest things of running a festival. Um, but you know, uh, going down to Melbourne and Monster Fest and having people come up to you is a good thing. Yeah, and this one person who I did not know i had hardly i don't i think i'd been to melbourne maybe twice to mm -hmm. visit and this person came up to me at the horror film festival and was like you're the person who made point of view and i'm like ah oh, yeah mm. yes i am yeah. <laughs> um sorry and um they're like that's really horrible but like really good like really like they were trying to tell me it was you fucking scared me the with that most fucking movie. awful thing they've ever seen yeah. but good job yeah you scared me with that fucking movie is what they're saying yeah <laughs> and they're like you know and it was good and i liked it um but they were like are you like trying to do this and this and this so they even noticed a couple of the little points of like some of the stranger danger some of the things the victim didn't do in the film mm. and i'm like yes if you did that she might have lived and yeah, we make well, those kind of well, you have these obvious. things. Yeah, you have those things. You need those obstacles. Yes. And and you have a choice when you make and when you're writing these things is like, do they pass the obstacle? Miss mm. the obstacle? Do they? Because you've got to have the suspension of disbelief. Because you know when, especially in horror, the old the old um, uh, stereotypical cliche situation of um, the chick that's in the house and you just say, get out of the house, man! And they run back upstairs. And they and run back upstairs, right? But you need that reaction. I yep. think that reaction is important. That's a that's one of those things that is a part of the uh, a plot device to get you into the film. Yes, it makes the audience engage, but also makes the audience kind of feel like they're a little bit smarter than the victim. Mm. And in horror, you kind of want that. You don't necessarily want that in a really intellectual like murder mystery crime mm. thriller. You don't want to feel like you're smarter than a detective who's solving a murder crime. Mm. But uh, innocent, a uh, small babysitter who's going to get herself killed by a slasher in a mask, mm. you want to go, yeah, I'm smarter than the last victim of a slasher. Yeah. Because you want to, it's one of the things that in the end makes it okay for all the stuff that you experienced. You were like, oh no, what if there's a guy with a machete and a big mask what waiting would I do? outside? Yeah. Oh wait, I would run outside. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right. Life is fine. I would run outside. Yeah. I would hang up the phone. I would pass on the video well, tape. One of my favourite games that I play with um, uh, in this uh, in this sort of idea uh, with Misty is when we're watching a horror film, you've got to pick who's going to die first. Mm. Okay? And anyone who lights up a cigarette right in a film, in a horror film, you're like, dead man. He's dead man. He's just lit a cigarette. They're going to kill him. Wow. Or like you see, um, yeah. a, a, um, a, uh, you know, people on their first date making out on a couch. You're like, they're dead. It's over. <laughs> they are totally getting creamed. This is going to be bad. Right. <laughs> so that's because, like, at the root of horror back in the old days, mm. they wanted to try to make moral judgments and lessons through horror. But also some of the filmmakers, so some of the people 
have gone, oh, horror films are like judging people who do drugs and have sex in the forest. Mm. And you're like, well, you've got to actually look at the filmmakers and the people making the film about the guy who kills the teenager for having unprotected sex. Mm. He was doing it as a parody. He was doing it as a satire. Yeah. Because it depends on the filmmakers and what they're actually... And you're talking about hidden fears and yeah, the consequences of and actions. They're talking about all those sorts yeah. of things. Um, yeah. But what I find truly scary that we can do now with horror and as the world's become a bit kind of more open and more communicated is that everything's like fair game now. Mm. Um, it's like what Trey Parker on South Park said mm. um, about being funny. Right, and he was like, "If one thing is not okay to make fun of, then nothing should be okay to make fun of. Mm. If one thing is okay to make fun of, everything, everything should everything be okay available. to make fun of." Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and that's what I try to think about with my horror films. Mm. Is I'm like, everybody bleeds, everybody dies, mm. right? Everyone can be stabbed. Yeah, everyone can right? be a victim. Yeah, everyone can be a victim. Mm. So therefore, in horror. Yeah, you know, everyone is equal. Yeah. Well, there is the, the three... I think it's the three rules I have in film. Don't kill a dog. You, know, you kill a dog, especially in an opening scene. There's a few films that have done it. They kill a dog straight up. You're like, man, you just want to put people in a foul... Because it does, because you, all you're thinking about is that, that poor dog. That's right. Um, don't kill kids in a film. That's another big no-no. As soon as yeah. you start killing innocents. Master Anakin, the younglings. Yeah, that's it. You get, because then you've got to paint this person to be this yeah. really evil person. Like it's a, it's a, it's a great way to paint them as this person is ruthless. They will not come back. Mm. Right. Um, but Darth Vader never killed a dog. Mm. Right, he killed all the younglings of the Jedi Temple, but he never killed a dog that I saw in any of the Star Wars films. So, mm. therefore, he could come back from the brink of damnation. Well, if you go in the comments, guys, find me the films that they've killed the dogs because there's not many of them out there. I can, I think there's a... Oh, man, it's, it's Halloween. my brain. There's a few of them. Yeah, Halloween, they kill the dog. Michael Myers kills dogs. He kills yeah. the dogs all the time, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, it gets people offside. Terminators. Terminators kill... The, yeah, but you don't ever see the murder of the dog. Oh, you don't see but the, that, that, that's due to like depending on the ratings of the film yeah as well because you start you know because then you you know you shorten your market yeah. that's a very big point but I think there's there are these um, unwritten rules that are in films that mm. we do abide but sometimes break and I think horror is one of those genres that tends to break most of the rules that's right um, I think rules in a way are there to be broken or at least to be tested mm. um, because by breaking them and by testing them, we see their worth. Mm. When people go, hey, you shouldn't kill a dog. What kind of a person kills a dog? What kind of a monster? Dog? What kind of a monster you're does a this? monster. And you're like, <laughs> that person just killed 37 people on a bus and then a train and then got an aeroplane. He's killed 147 people in the film franchise so far. You draw the line at the dog. And yeah. people are like... That dog is so cute. Yeah. But that's it's strange how the human mind works, though. That's it's right. strange what the zeitgeist is. Um, but sometimes people... Like, They're as, innocent. Most of the time, those dogs are... Unless you're Cujo. Cujo, then, well, you're, then you're a bad dog. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Cujo used to scare the shit out of me when I was a kid. I must say, like, out of the, all the scary films that are out there, Cujo was one of the ones that I like... Because it, it really brought home. A dog can easily chase you and start hunting you down, especially when you're a kid. That's right. When I was a kid... My one of my really good friends, mm. um, we were in the backyard and it just kind of snapped in him. Um, but we were on the fence and we we're climbing on the fence and we we're playing like mm -hmm. army commandos and things and throwing stuff at each other and pretending to shoot each other and things. And a dog looked at me mm. and just snapped and thought I was an intruder and I was putting my friend in danger mm. and attacked me and ripped open my back, ripped open my back. Mm. And it was quite really, really bad. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, you actually got and, bitten by a dog. Yeah, like, and my back was ripped open. Oh, wow. And, like, it was really bad. And But that dog I'd played with, mm. like, even an hour before and then even after. Mm. Like, and just how much they had changed. And, you know, I look at Cujo and I see that scene from that. And it's like, man's best friend. Mm no longer your best friend yeah that's it yeah that's what i mean these rules have been broken these lines mm. have been crossed i actually have to say as well um the um 
Uh, the promo for Cujo was one of my favourites. I because lo- I like to emulate that movie guy. Yeah, Yo, Cujo. You know that. <laughs> I just love doing it. He's got a great it's voice. Great voice, man. Yeah. He did all the eighties horrors. I can't. I should look up his name. If I had had uh, had the uh, producer here today, we could look up his name. But um, there's so, there's so, so many horror films that I think. Um, they're one of the. It's, it's another sort of genre that um, pushes the boundaries, but um, and breaks the rules, but as well takes some risks. Like I think one of the biggest risks I've heard about in a film was on a horror film. Um, it was the um, Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. They had Bruce Campbell. So have I got that right, Bruce Campbell? Mm-hmm. Yeah, using live ammunition. Oh, wow! Because you know when you see he, shoot, he shoots the shotgun out the out the door, right? Yeah. Using live rounds, like imagine trying to use live rounds on a film set today. It'd be front page news. Well, I'm sure other films have. They just didn't tell you. Yeah, probably. Um, but a lot of that comes from the fact that most of horror is quite indie mm. in their budget range. You don't see too many horror films that are over 150 million dollars in budget Mm. it's like almost the antithesis of the superhero film Mm. where the superhero film you're like laughing if you don't have 50 million dollars you're like you can't make a superhero film on less than 50 million dollars yeah not in this market the way things are no way why a horror film you're like eh, i've got 20 dollars worth of blood and three friends who are willing to buy new clothes Mm. next week I have a horror film. Um, and you can make it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's some of the things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like there were some injuries in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre because yeah. they were using a real chainsaw. And we now know... See, like, this is what I'm talking about. Using a real chainsaw in a goddamn movie. Like in <laughs> Point of View, where I also used the chainsaw, which was both a homage <laughs> to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but also the first person... Doom, yeah, with the chainsaw sequence. Yeah, see, that was a yeah. Even yeah. see, referencing Doom in that way, like a lot of people who that have played that game, what whatever um, year it was, whether it was Doom or you know um, what's out now, Doom Eternal. Yeah, yep. yeah, right. Um, anywhere between those two points, the coolest thing was pulling out a chainsaw and That's killing right. pinkies. Right. That's right. So you see something <laughs> in first person, you sit there and you go, pull out a chainsaw. <laughs> do it first person pull out a chainsaw like in doom and so that's what i wanted to have in the last moment is the point of view looking for the different weapons and then the final one is pull out the chainsaw um but yeah you learn to remove the actual blade from the chainsaw um because who's gonna look that close leatherface tripped over himself mm. and they were both both Leatherface and the girl, I believe, had multiple lacerations from the chainsaw blade. Yeah, because it's something that will grip onto you. It's because, not just going to, like, graze well, you, It's, right? like, constantly nicking them. And yeah. so if you have a look, half the scars and cuts on both of their legs and stuff were from both of them. And I think the girl actually had to get, like, a tendon resewn or something. Mm. That is not the reason why Texas Chainsaw Massacre was banned for many years, but... No, it was, though. It did scare the pants out of people. Because you've yeah. got to understand, it was different times for different minds, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that, they were all both cool about running with a chainsaw and mm. cutting themselves. Like, that wasn't why it was banned. But, yeah, some people do silly things in horror films. Mm. Um, one of my first films, I, like, made my friend go out and sit in the middle of the ocean... Till um, like five o'clock in the morning, like made him sit in the middle of the ocean and like float like a dead body. But I went and had a life. I did have a lifeguard standing next to me with like one of those heat blankets and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, do you know why I've got you here? And the lifeguard's like, yes, I know why you've got me here. What? <laughs> you gotta fucking drown somebody. Oh, yeah, okay, someone drowns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, just go out into the water get down under the water for a little bit and then kind of bob up like you're dead and mm. float back to the beach for me. Mm. So, sure, dude, no problem. I'll be back in a minute. Yeah, but it's an important thing to say as well. Like, when you're doing scenes like that, it's a smart thing to bring a lifeguard with you. It's a smart thing to analyse your scenes. You've got to do these sort of things. You mm. can't just go out there and, like, Mad Max this shit anymore. You've got to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Although there is some running gun stuff that goes on. There is. There's some running gun stuff, but you also can't get away with too much for too long. Yeah. Um, so part of the good thing is not actually hurting people. Mm. Right? It can look like I've just ripped some guy's toenail off and then force fed him it. But 
really. You can't actually do that. You can't actually really even give someone a bruise. The very next day, they sit there and go, hey, that makeup's kind of made me break out a little bit. Now I've got (laughs) pimples. I'm never going to work with you again. I'm like, don't worry. I'm going to cut your head off. And you won't even have a scratch on you the next day. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, yeah, I think um, especially um, uh, being a filmmaker as well, you've got to have your um, air quotations kill count. When was the first time you killed someone on screen? Oh. I think it was in my first film. No, it might have been my second film. I, can't, like I killed someone in a, in a, in a film, yeah. I, I think technically it was the very first thing I did. Yeah, when you first seen a kill scene? Because you know, you know what I'm saying? Like you, when you start out as a filmmaker, you do different types of scenes from different types yeah. of movies, and then you sort of get your feel of all of the components that go into that. Technically, the very first film I ever made was a stop-motion film, right? which was about, like, there was these, like, little kind of recess snacks you get, and they're like a biscuit and some cheese in mm-hmm. one section, and you eat the biscuit with the cheese, and you eat them for recess. Oh, yeah. So well, a snack. Yeah, well, there's different brands. Um, I like the Less Snack. This is brought to you by Less Snack. Um, <laughs> if only I was getting sponsored by Less Snack. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Less Snack, if you're out there, contact me. I could use the money. We're also brought to you by Porsche and Lamborghini. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so what I did is I made a little stop-motion video. So mm. I was obsessed with, like, Harryhausen and a whole bunch of all the old old-school special effects masters. And I mm. wanted to learn how to do stop-motion things. And so I actually made a story about a cannibal Le Snack packet eating the other Le Snack packets, uh. like an opening up the packet and eating them all. Mm. And then me opening up the cupboard at the end going, where are, where are all the Le Snacks going? That's where they go. Mm. They're so nice. They'll yeah. cannibalize themselves. So technically... There was, like, morbidity even in, like, a stop-motion film that I made back in, like, as a kid. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the very first film I made was actually kind of a story about suicide. Mm. So it was both made to an Edgar Allan Poe poem. Oh, yeah? Um, but then it was kind of made for suicide awareness. It was mm. during the 48-hour filmmaker competition. Yeah, I remember these competitions, yeah. Newcastle used to run in yeah. um, the Newcastle shootout. Hey. And yeah, I remember that. It was a very kind of grunge, emo, yeah. suicide awareness kind of film and mm-hmm. set to go on Poe music. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the guy died in that. So, um, But then the very next film was about a killer puppet, mm-hmm. a ventriloquist. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was whether or not you were thinking, oh, is the ventriloquist I mean, possessed or not? Or is the guy crazy? And yeah, yeah, okay. Is that typical? kind of a short film that I played around with. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And we deliberately left it open-ended. Yeah, I made a film once that I deliberately made confusing. Yeah. I deliberately made it confusing. Um, it was called Colonel. If you go out there and watch it, it is in the archives out there. I'm sure, you know, you can stack onto its 400th view if you're that interested. But, um, yeah, it's a, um, a sci-fi about this dude who's three people who's one person. Right. But, like, I know the, the arc. Like, I knew what the arc was. I know the, the beginning, the middle, and the end. Mm. And then I started populating it with the, the dialogue, and I thought, I'll just make him talk about all kinds of crazy shit that have no relevance to the story. And then, because I did it in such a randomised way, I made it make sense, air quotations. <laughs> but um, when you go and look at it, people are like, what did that mean? And then I remember um, I, got to, I was lucky enough to screen it, like, twice on a big screen. With an audience in front of it, and you get people talking about, man, that was really deep film. It's really deep, and I'm like, I deliberately did it to confuse people. I just wanted to do a fight scene, and and I wanted to um, use guns in the film. That was my mate. That was my main motivation to making it. Um, I wasn't much of a. I wasn't looking for the story per se at that point uh, in filmmaking. Well, that's the great thing about art, especially. Like, so film is both storytelling, but then also, in a way, is art. Mm. And so art is completely relative to the viewer. Mm. And so you can make a film. You can even know not not what it's supposed to mean. Mm. You're just having a bunch of fun with your friends. And then you can listen to all your f- 
people that have watched it and go, really? Oh, yes, no, that's totally what I meant in the film. <laughs> yes, I love that effect in the mise-en-scene. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, no, I went along with that. I totally meant <laughs> to end the film with just like a spinning top. <laughs> um, so many layers. Mm, I think we're within a dream. I think I think we're three layers down right now. We're three layers <laughs> in. We must be like three layers in. Yeah, we're into the second dream now. We're into the second. Um, you know, just need to wait for. Was it the jump? They call it the jump or the yeah, fall? Whatever the fall, it was. Was it the fall? Like something like that. Basically, Leonardo DiCaprio falling into a bath. That's pretty much. Uh, it. Yeah, we wanted to shoot that. We figured out a storyline to do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but your second, uh, your second uh, audience choice award winner from a night of horror. Yeah. Uh, what was this film? Was this uh, the first horror movie? No, this is Schoolies Massacre. Schoolies Massacre. I had a fifty-fifty on that. I'm yeah. looking at my notes. I'm like, it's one of the two. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so Schoolies Massacre was the follow-up to Point of View. Yeah. Um, Point of View was done very much on the very kind of early John Carpenter style of horror Mm -hmm. where I'm like, I'm just going to take one location, a couple of people, light it really well, do good sound, make it scary and dark and serial killer people. Mm. Um, But keep it very minimal. I call these films our lifeboat films because <laughs> everyone's in a, in a lifeboat. And That's you just, right. And put a serial killer on the lifeboat, see what happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, but where school is massacre, I wanted to do a similar kind of a thing, but I wanted to um, make a bigger budget film, have more cast, mm. have extras, and have some parties and mm. things like that. Yeah, more um, complex scenes. Yeah. So I had live for a portion of my life up in uh, Queensland and... Where else in Queensland? Um, so in Brisbane. Okay. I, I lived in Brisbane mm-hmm. um, and um, in Mount Gravatt. And um, what we would do is often go up to schoolies mm-hmm. um, even though we were no longer at school. Well, yeah, they, yeah, they call that toolies now, don't they? Um, they go well... They go toolie. Yeah, sort of. We kind I mean, of, a schoolie and a toolie. We would often go up there um, for all other different things, um, but yeah, often to just sit there and laugh at the schoolies people. Yeah, that's see, that's entertainment. It yeah. is entertaining. Um, so I've actually got some really good memories <laughs> with my friends sitting there <laughs> drinking like goon bags, like laughing at these schoolies guys, like stacking it on the um, skateboard and shit, and then we'd just get back on the bus. Yeah. So it was only a bus ride, and yeah. it was like $2 on the bus yeah. to go up to the beach yeah. and hang out during schoolies week. So most people in Brisbane would go up there. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time in surfers, even during schoolies, yeah. Um, I don't mind it. So I got to know quite a lot of people in mm. Surface Paradise. Um, I got to know some of the dance groups and bands up there and mm-hmm. things like that. I knew people up there, and I could always go back. Mm-hmm. So I was down in Sydney, I made a horror film, and I'm like sitting there going, huh. When Point of View came out, me and Jenna were at the awards, and we were looking at a poster of Spring Breakers. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting there, and she goes, you know, if you make a horror film like that, everyone would watch it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hmm, I could make a horror film like that. And I'm like, you do know that's a kind of hard edge film about kind of crime and stuff, is it? And she's mm-hmm. like... I don't care. I'll watch it. And I'm like, all right. Um, so I started having a think and I'm like having a... And so I wanted to kind of make like me... A lot of my horror films start... I watch a lot of comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of my horror comes from the whole Shakespearean uh, play between comedy and tragedy mm-hmm. being a matter of perspective. So if I get up now from the desk and walk over there and I trip over... Mm-hmm. You might have a little bit of a chuckle. Yeah, he's just falling over. Yeah, and I might go, oh, fuck, I just hurt my I just snapped my femur. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just broke my neck by falling down that staircase. And he's it's still a compound, laughing. It's a compound fracture. <laughs> um, yeah, so at the core, that's the difference between comedy and tragedy. Mm. Is comedy is usually something that's happening to other people that mm. we don't care about or we don't relate to. Mm. And tragedy is someone that we've made an emotional connection. Yeah, we connect with it, yeah. 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 And so I'm like, oh, I want to make kind of like a Mean Girls horror film Mm. because so many um, people I know really connected with that film when they were like, oh, me and my friends, we were just like that in high school and Mm. that kind of stuff. And I'm like, so Mean Girls is like a quintessentially good film. And Mm. they're like, yeah. 
Went, oh, I'll have a look at something like that. And so it was the plot around the idea of the term frenemy. Mm. Right? And the idea that you're an enemy, but you're staying a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but then what we actually did once we got the project going is we decided to get a crowdfund it mm-hmm. because I was independently funding my own films up till then. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'd reach out to other people mm. and let the audience fund the film. And I'm like, I'll put out the idea, and if it's rubbish, like most of my ideas, I think they are, Mm -hmm. um, no one will fund this film, and I won't have to. That'll be the end of it. And I won't have to do it. I can just stay with it. Yeah, it's a nice nice little out that you gave yourself. I can just stay at home. Yeah, yeah. I get get out of doing this project. Don't have to make the movie. Because that's the problem with ideas. You get these ideas in your head, and you're like, oh, no, I've got to make this thing. Mm-hmm. I've got to, like, put it out into the world. Why am I, no, with crowdfunding, I tried my best, put it up on the crowdfunding, no and one wanted no it. one wanted it. Too bad. Terrible idea. Mm. Sadly, everyone funded it, and I had to then go make the film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting thing. I think it's a paradoxical experience, right? Because you want to make a movie, and while you're making a movie, you're stressed out. You don't want to make <laughs> You don't want to make a movie. You're like... I can't wait for this thing to be fucking over. And then you get to the last day of shooting and you wrap it. And you're like, great. And immediately you go, I need to make another one of these things. Before you even cut the bloody thing, you go, I want to do it again. It's one. It's a strange thing. It is a bizarre experience uh, yeah. for anyone who's starting out there. And by the way, I think um, uh, horror is a good way to get into um, uh, films or just genre films in general mm-hmm. is a good way to get into uh, making films and learning about film. Um, and I think, you know, because uh, we get a lot of entries for horror into Made in the West. Yeah. And there's, I think we get sort of two grades of horror. You yeah. get that um, entry-level film or you get that film of someone who has a bit of prowess. Mm-hmm. They have obviously made films before, because you can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's only been two filmmakers I've come across where I couldn't predict if they made a film or not before. Because mm-hmm. I go, oh, it, it, was, it was actually one in, in particular. Um Emma Elias, a uh, big shout out. I, um, uh, watching her film, I was like, yeah, man, she's a seasoned professional, just a natural talent, just fucking amazing shooter. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, but most people you go, yeah, this is your first film, or this is your third, or I think this is about your third film. Mm-hmm. You can judge that. And I think horror is a good way to, to get into that, or genre films in general. Yeah, well, I'm studying my master's degree at the moment, mm. and that's on horror at the moment. And I was talking to them about, like, what it's the age old question of why horror. Mm-hmm. And I was explaining to them that it's based off observation from quite a lot of the famous bigger genre filmmakers, like mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. He started off making Jewel, Jaws, Jaws yeah. Peter Jackson, he made Brain Dead. Um, uh, very bad. Was it very bad? Taste. Bad, taste. bad taste is the first film, and yeah. it's a classic. I fucking love that film, man. Right. A lot so, of it, a lot of people wouldn't like it though. They made Bad Taste of a weekend, um, over a weekend, and it was, took them like nearly a year every mm. weekend to just shoot like an hour a day. Yeah. And he pretty much paid the cast and crew in fish and chips, and yeah. that, that was the original thing that everyone in New Zealand was like, "Free fish and chips, Peter." Yeah. <laughs> We'll be there. <laughs> and now they're all the heads of Weta. Like, yeah. and yeah, stuff and, like and that. And he's now P- he's Peter Jackson. And he's Peter Jackson. Yeah. Um, James Cameron. Yeah. He started out working um, with Roger Corman. Mm. And he was the special effects guy for Roger Corman. Mm. And um, a lot of my career trajectory has been following Cameron. So I started out as special He's got an effects. interesting career, man. Um, starting out as a truck driver yeah. um, and just working nights teaching himself, keeping um, uh, engineering records of how things are made and then mm-hmm. learning how to do special effects because that was his shtick, learning yeah. how to do special effects. So he did special effects for Roger Corman. I think he was a garbage truck driver, actually. He, wasn't a t- he was a garbage yeah. truck driver, yeah. To, to anything to pay the bill mm. and to work on your next project. Yeah. And so he was, yeah, he started out as special effects for Roger Corman. Mm. Right, who, as most people at home would know, mm. is the producer behind Sharknado. Mm-hmm. So when you're the guy that's like, my next film is about tornadoes and sharks mm. and they're together. And James Cameron is the person who's like, yeah, I can make that. Mm. Um, and so that was what he was originally. But then eventually, yeah, he made Piranha 2. Mm-hmm. And then even Terminator is a bit of a horror film. Terminator is totally a horror film. Aliens. Well, yep. It's a slasher film. That's right. See, oh, I've Terminator is a slasher film. 
Terminator. Alien, aliens is a slasher film. Aliens. They're all sci-fi horror. Mm. Um, and so he started out with that. Um, even George Lucas, mm. right? If you go back and you look at THX. Yeah, THX, man. Right. Uh, what was it, THX 63? What was it? I can't remember. Never remember the numbers. 6138 or something. 6138. 6138. Because that's where, that's where they name, for, to totally nerd out people, uh, THX, uh, the uh, sound audio engineers, uh, comes from. The movie. The movie. Because yeah. George Lucas was the creator of Surround Sound. Yeah. Oh, man, it got shelved, that film. You know, that film got shelved? Yeah, well, it was a student film. Yeah, they so shelved it, was, it. Yeah. I wish I, I wish as a student I could make that film. <laughs> um, <laughs> i dreaming. But, yeah, so um, a lot of the big filmmakers started out with horror. Mm. And even Spielberg was... I think sure it was a quote from Spielberg talking about it, about like when he started out doing Jaws and mm. things like that, and then before moving into ET and then Back to the Future mm. and Lincoln mm. and things, um, that he was saying the good thing about horror is it doesn't require a big budget. Mm. He goes that horror is about human connection, and you don't need a big budget for that. Mm. You can put us, you have one room, a couple of people. One person pulls out a knife. Mm. Now you've got tension. If you've got the emotional connection and a yeah. serious, you could just have a two-hour film about two people sitting there talking at the. And mic. you don't even need to. Sh- you don't even need to show anything straight away either. You can totally have it suggested. See, and if it was up to Alfred Hitchcock, mm. right? You'd only just like hint that there's a knife. Yeah. At the beginning of the film, mm. you'd say some see someone put the knife in their pocket. Mm. And then be sitting there the entire movie, and you might not even see the knife. Mm. Um, and then that's the secret of suspense. Mm. That's right. Just sitting there waiting, waiting for that knife to come out. Mm. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, because my first film outside of school um, was a four and a half thousand dollar chop fest film called Pirates versus Ninjas. Mm-hmm. Which we hired. Great title. We hired a tall ship. <laughs> we had martial artists. We had all my friends as pirates, a whole bunch of other friends as ninjas because it came from the whole pop culture meme and we were arguing over which one was best. Well, which one are you? What side are you on? Well, see, I you're played a pirate. A man pirate. Or a, you're a ninja I man or a pirate? A pirate man? But the reason why I had to make the film is I'm like, I can see pros and cons for both. Oh, I can here. see pros and cons, but I think I'm more of a ninja man. Yeah, yeah I think I'm more of a ninja I man. I was more of a pirate man, see, mm. because they're a bit more of a underhanded scallywag. Yeah, see? that's right. Yeah, well, I like the, the that, stealth and the, the uh, you know, the uh, the uh, eliteness of a yeah. uh, of a ninja. Yeah, but yeah. then, see, maybe a pirate could be stabbed and still come after you. Yeah, a little, yeah with a bit of heart. They do They do walk <laughs> around without a leg, without a hand, without an eye. Yeah. As long as they've got some rum. Well, maybe if they were a bit more stealth, they would have kept their eye, you know what I mean? That's, that's, that's the thing, that's but they the don't thing. need the stealth when there is... A brute. Yeah, a brute <laughs> When they're a brute pirate drunk yeah. on rum. Constitution. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but I think it was... Um, yeah, Spielberg even referenced Hitchcock. Like, if you look at... Um, some of the shot selections in Jaws, he's totally referencing Hitchcock. That's right. You know, and you've you got to reference the greats. Yeah, we wouldn't have film if it wasn't for Hitchcock, I don't think. Man, what a broad dude. What yeah. a broad dude. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, he even owns a, a shot that's named after him in a way, uh, the Vertigo shot. Yeah. Uh, that all comes from him. That's right. Um, if you don't know what it is, guys, it's when you're tracking away and zooming in or when you're tracking in and zooming out is a Vertigo shot. Uh, look it up. I'm not going to explain it further than that. It's really hard to explain. <laughs> pretty much created like editing and mo- especially modern conventions for editing and well, non-linear yeah non-linear things, editing yeah. yeah the non-linear editing process yeah another really fun topic uh, not a lot of people know it about uh i love um non-linear editing you can do anything yeah the sky's the limit man if you understand the concept totally um, but yeah i have sidetracked um, yeah no we've got we've digressed we were up to um so uh, pirates and ninjas yeah and schoolies yeah. um so i wanted a big budget i crowdfunded it mm. but i'm like oh i need something else 
for the idea to even engage it as a crowdfunded film mm-hmm. because there's lots of crowdfunded films out there mm-hmm. that offer a DVD and a T-shirt and oh, like, uh, a bunch uh, of girls in bikinis killing each uh, other. Producers, to, um, credit is the one you'll see a lot of. Yeah, executive producers and yeah. stuff. So I'm like, I want to make the film kind of interactive and kind of an experience for the people mm-hmm. from the beginning of the campaign to crowdfund it right through to the ending and getting the film and watching it so i decided i'd make it a bit of an interactive movie and make it a bit like a game and so we pretty much decided to make a social experiment Mm -hmm. and make the film like a game of murder in the dark Mm -hmm. and so what i did is i had the cast the cast of characters were five friends Mm -hmm. and one of them was going to be the serial killer and her plot was to take the five friends to schoolies and then murder the other four and oh yes blame it yeah. on the incident and come out yeah and so I have, a, I have a story for the disappearances yeah yeah and so what we did is we cast the five girls and i didn't tell them which one would be the killer i arranged with them all in the casting process we completely transparent all the way through with what we're doing and so each one of them were given their characters given their backstories and everybody was given a reason to want the other five other four people dead Mm. because we were playing up on the whole frenemy thing Mm -hmm. and then what i did is i only gave them the first half of the script Mm -hmm. and so it's really only in the first half of the script that you see all the character development everyone being friends Everyone acting like it was fine. Yeah, all the foundationary stuff, all the nuts and bolts. Before, the, yeah. before the person gets killed. Mm. And then what I did is I only sent each actor um, the scene where they died. Mm-hmm. And then it only had their character's name mm-hmm. and killer. Mm-hmm. And before the first one, I then contacted privately the person who... Right from the beginning, it always knew who was going to be the killer. Mm-hmm. They didn't. But you kept them in the dark. Kept yeah. them completely in the dark. Mm-hmm. So much so that a couple of the times they're like, you're making this up as we go. And you're like waiting to see which one of us. You're trying to see who the better killer would be. Which one would be the better yeah, killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what suited better. But yeah. but that couldn't be true because you, you would have cast it the way you wanted it. I had the last scene in an envelope that I kept talking about mm. and it was and it was in the envelope and mm. it always was there mm. of who it was going to be um and so we made it a whole guessing game even the people during the crowd that would have been, been a lot of fun to shoot yeah uh, having that sort of um story in the background its own so, story yeah. yeah and um so the it was really good for the actors because for the first few weeks of filming they didn't even have to worry about acting like they were in a horror film mm-hmm. or acting like all they did in that each one of them are all playing it so that they're like well what if i am the killer Mm. ben hasn't told us yet Mm. so i better make it look like i'm the killer Mm -hmm. and so that was always my purpose Mm -hmm. my idea was how do i get everybody to act like they're the killer Mm -hmm. so much that no one's actually acting like the killer because it's only like my second short, we're all fairly inexperienced, even now as a director, them as actors, mm-hmm. and I'm like, how do we not get them to telegraph the fact that I'm the killer? Yeah. And they like always throwing weird glances at everybody, or mm. I will get out my phone now, mm. and things like that. Yeah. And so I'm like, uh, what I'll do is it's hard for someone to not act sus. Mm. So what I'll do is I'll encourage everyone to act Access. so everyone was acting like the killer and they were all acting like the killer and you're just like one of these is going to kill all the others and they all deserve it because they all hate each other and this is the worst possible group of friends to be staying with each other Mm. um and it was yeah very interesting experience um so the killer was dressed up in like a full mask Mm -hmm full outfit and i even because i'm a makeup artist Mm -hmm. um there's all these different little things Mm -hmm. that i knew to change so i changed her hair color we gave her a different wig Mm. so she's wearing a wig when she's killing people but she actually changes her foundation Mm -hmm. color of makeup Mm -hmm. and puts her foundation on her arms Mm -hmm. and other parts of her body Mm. so it actually changes the complexion of her skin color right so if you're sitting there watching the film you think it's someone different yeah 
seeing the killer, you can't, you sit there and go, it's none of them. And you go, why? You go, look at the tan on her arms. Mm. Yeah. That's not any of them. They've got a different actress. Yeah. Yeah, see, well, this is the use of uh, mise-en-scene to, uh, to do that, is uh, the placement of um, things in scenes. For, for, those, for folks that are listening, uh, mise-en-scene is the, basically the um, construction of a, of a scene, um, what is inside that scene yeah. to uh, tell the story, the the story within the story, mm-hmm. and uh, that's one of those story-in-the-story story sort of things. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the use of mise-en-scene, you can um, redirect the consciousness of the film. So, yeah, that's a cool, that's cool, a cool vehicle to do so. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it worked really well. Um, we got lots of good little twists in there. Um, most of the people did not guess mm-hmm. the um, killer right up to the end. Um, which was pretty good. That's what you want. Um, yeah. When you're so doing that, that's what you, you want. You want them to kind of keep guessing and you want everyone to kind of be a red herring. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of worked. Um, heaps of people followed it. It was like a big yeah, crowdfunding thing. And then we had this cool, interesting social experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we put it up to show everybody and it went again. So I was a bit worried. But yeah. Okay. Oh well, I'm just I've just noticed that all of my beepers are going off. We've run out of time, man. I've got to start wrapping this bad boy up. Um, if people is, um, uh, thank you so much for joining the show today, by the way. Okay. Um, but um, if people want to check out your films, where can they go? Um, so because some are out and some aren't. Yes. So uh, point of view is available on a on the ABCs of Death Omnibus. Mm-hmm. So that's a collection of short films from around the world, mm-hmm. um, and that's available at Monster Pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, it will also be available streaming soon on Troma Now, mm-hmm. I think I can tell you, mm-hmm. um, which is a streaming service set up by Troma, mm-hmm. Lloyd Kaufman, Toxic Avenger. Mm-hmm. Um, School is Massacre was a limited sale mm-hmm. um, for the crowdfunding and things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, most of them will be up online. So you get know, eventually. Yeah, eventually. So um, yeah. we'll watch so the you space. You can buy my films. Oh, yeah. Look, go and check out... Um, JB Hi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> well, go and check it out on JB Hi-Fi. And of course, uh, go and check out um, Benjamin Morton on IMDb and uh, everywhere else that you can find you online. Okay. And um, and while you're online, don't forget to subscribe to the Pagey Train and go and tick like on Facebook. And, you know, we're coming out of COVID and we're starting to make more films. If you need some Foley done, come and let me know. If you need some promotional work or... Um, filming events come and let me know and we will work out a deal for you for you for you all right i can't get enough plugs in there so once again uh thank you so much for joining me man awesome thanks for having me man all right that's it and that's the pagey train all right man it's beeping all over the place it literally just shut down yeah cool (laughs) oh no